0: Blog Talk Radio. everybody, Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday, <coughs> pardon me, and it is August the 30th, 2019. Uh, we're staring down uh, the barrel of Labor Day weekend, and unfortunately the folks in Florida are staring down the barrel of a hurricane headed their way. Um, I hope that Florida gets through this uh, storm okay, and um, we need to keep an eye on it. And if you're able to, folks, and you find legitimate charities or you know people down there, let's all chip in and do whatever we can to help our fellow Americans in Florida. But again, this is Labor Day weekend, and, and it should be a great time for all of us, but for the lunacy that seems to keep playing out week after week, month after month, with uh, disgusting regularity brought to us by the political elite of America. I thank you for uh, tuning in to listen to me. Today, those of you who are familiar with me know my story. You know that I'm a retired senior special agent with the former Immigration and Naturalization Service, the uh, INS, an agency that was sliced, diced, uh, and thoroughly screwed up as it was to begin with and folded in to a bureaucratic leviathan known as the Department of Homeland Security that I came to call the Department of Homeland Surrender. So there's much wrong with the agency, much wrong with the approach that we've taken to immigration for decades. But these aren't failures because we're incapable of getting the job done, folks. These are failures by design, failures because the fraction of one percenters, the super rich, the super elite, the super greedy, find in open borders opportunities for more wealth. We're not talking about people who don't know how in the world they're going to be able to pay the mortgage next month or how they're going to be able to put their kids through college. And, boy, that's, that's really a story all by itself, the whole concern about putting kids through college. Um, <laughs> college loans, student loans right now uh, are, are the second highest form of personal indebtedness next to mortgages. Uh, there was an astounding number that was out there uh, the past week, well over a trillion dollars, as I recall, and many uh, of those people who hold those loans uh, are more than 90 days behind. It's a it's a catastrophe. Now, many of these kids are coming out of school with degrees and find they can't get jobs. Now, sometimes it's because their courses of study aren't conducive to jobs, you know, uh, women's studies and remedial basket weaving and so forth Um, but we've also got kids graduating with the degrees that should guarantee them success and they're not the sciences and so forth and there's many elements to that Uh, we're going to delve into a little bit of this hopefully later on this evening but i want to start out by by of course reminding you that i write for front page magazine but i also joined forces with dennis michael lynch uh, his website, dml.com, dmlnews.com. Um, he's asked me to do a weekly podcast for him. I did my first one today. Uh, I filled in from all week last week. He liked how it went. Apparently, he got great feedback from the people who uh, subscribe to his podcasts. So he's asked me on every Thursday at 1030 in the morning, East Coast time, to do a podcast. It'll run somewhere between a half hour, 45 minutes for now, and we're going to tweak it and fine-tune it and see where we go with it all. But I also write articles for him as well. <clears throat> it's about getting the information out there because the mainstream media uh, wouldn't know the truth if it ran over them. I mean, that's really the problem. Uh, and this is not about political correctness. It's about being Orwellian, controlling the thoughts of Americans through the control of language. This isn't an accident. This is willful. It's disgusting. People are very concerned about the Second Amendment. I understand that. But we ought to be really concerned about the First Amendment. It's all but dead. The intimidation factor by Antifa and by the radical loons have really made it difficult to have debates and discussions anywhere, particularly in college campuses. If you know my background, you know that my degree was in communications, arts, and sciences. Had I not had the opportunity to become a federal agent I had seriously considered becoming a journalist and or teaching debate on the college level. I've been debating since high school. <clears throat> without the ability to debate, you cannot be successful. I don't even think anybody should be able to get a diploma from high school or a college degree without spending a full year as an active participant on a debating team. And debate is being shut down across the country. It's being shut down by the internet. It's being shut down on the campuses because anybody with a viewpoint that goes against the narrative that's been carefully crafted is ostracized, attacked, vilified. This isn't the America that I grew up in. We need to push back. We really do. So much is at stake. So that said, I also have to tell you, uh, when I did the podcast earlier today, uh, I had said that we ought to be giving out uh, the, uh, the chutzpah awards. Now, those of you familiar with the term chutzpah uh, know that it, it's gall, unmitigated gall, brass balls, cojones in Spanish. Um, and it, but this is a Yiddish term, and the quintessential Yiddish example of chutzpah is the kid that kills both of his parents and then pleads for mercy because he's an orphan. Well, we have two cases of chutzpah that I feel compelled to address. First and foremost, center stage, the award goes without question to James Comey, the former head of the FBI. This is a guy who violated so many regulations, so many procedures. Um, For whatever reason, the inspector general decided that they would not indict him. But there was a laundry list of what he did wrong, Um, creating private memos about government business. That means that memo isn't yours. You could, you could do a private memo uh, describing what work you need to do on your house. Well, that's fine. But when the memo deals with government business, that memo then becomes part of official government records. It's not your property. If I took notes during an interview as an agent, I don't take that home and say, oh, how about that? I've got notes that I can keep. No, they're not yours. They're government property. Not only did Comey make such notes, and he should know better as the head of the FBI, former head, but then he leaked them to a friend with the idea that the friend would bring them to the media, to the newspapers. So he didn't do it. His friend did it. In in undercover work, we call that a cutout, You know, plausible deniability. Our government is all about plausible deniability. So Comey then steps forward and sees that he hasn't been indicted, takes a deep breath of relief, and basically says that he is now owed an apology. There's a Yiddish expression that says, when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. Let me tell you, what Comey did is outrageous. Um, All too often I've heard this phrase, R-H-I-P, rank has its privileges. Well, let's be clear, folks. Rank has its responsibilities and accountability. I had bosses in the old days who were old school. One boss, Frank Johnson, who always used to say to us, It's not enough as federal agents that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. I had other bosses who similarly admonished us. It's all about conduct, character, integrity. But, of course, in this wacky era, uh, those virtues are almost nowhere to be found. We've become a country that knows the price of everything, the value of nothing, We have politicians who lose elections and then insist that somehow something terrible was done to them because they should have won. This takes sore losing to a level that I didn't think was possible. And, of course, if Hillary is listening, you know who we're talking about. I've never before seen anybody run for a significant office, lose the election, and not be magnanimous and step forward and say, I'm conceding to my opponents. I'm sorry that I lost. I obviously was in this to win, but there can only be one winner. There will be more elections. But right now, we know what the public decided. We know what the voters wanted, and they didn't want me, so we need to get behind our new mayor, governor, president, senator, whatever. And so it goes. But not today. Today, if you win and your opponent is angry— they will attack you ad nauseum. They will go after the process itself. You know, if you sit on a jury, and in New York, years ago I sat on two jury trials, and in both cases the judge said it's not just the defendant who's on trial, it's the system that is on trial. In an election, it's not just about the candidates, it's about the system. And what Comey did, was to start a string of events that led to the costly, divisive, and um, frankly disgusting Russia investigation. There was no collusion. But Nadler and the others, and and i got to tell you, he's my representative in Congress, but I don't feel particularly well represented, and I'm a lifelong registered Democrat. Get over it. Trump is the president you don't like what he's doing, fine, come up with better ideas. And what's the better ideas? Let's do away with immigration law enforcement. Let's vilify law enforcement in general. Um, you know, I, I'm looking at New York City with what happened with the firing of the police officer over the Eric Garner case, where Eric Garner was being arrested by the police. He resisted the officer in struggling with him, was accused of using a chokehold. The controversy is whether or not he did. And I have to tell you, as somebody who's made many, 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 many arrests, this isn't high school or collegiate wrestling. There's no referee with a whistle and a striped shirt deciding whether or not you you did an illegal hold. When you arrest somebody and that person resists, you are actually in a life or death struggle. You have a weapon. The guy's crazy enough to resist. Your problem now is you've got to find a way to get that guy into custody or that woman into custody. And in the fog of battle, things happened. I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to tell you whether they were right, wrong, or whatever on the Garner case. But I will tell you that the grand jury said no crime was committed, and they still fire a police officer. And then they went and took 20 days of vacation time from the female sergeant who showed up at the scene trying to be helpful. And they couldn't find that she did anything wrong, but she was there. And boy, oh, boy, we better placate. the the screaming rioting masses so she lost 20 days of vacation time and did something and i and i respect her for it it was brilliant she quit she said i'm out of here not only am i no longer going to be with the with the new york city police department i'm leaving new york city and i got to tell you right now new york city new york state is losing more residents each and every day than any other location in the united states followed closely by California and Chicago. People aren't stupid. They know they're being taken to the cleaners by the people that were elected to represent their best interests. What's remarkable to me is that Madoff sits in jail. Madoff sought to deprive people their fortunes. The politicians don't care, it would appear, if they take from people something more valuable their lives, and the lives of their family members. They are endangering national security. They are endangering public safety. This is not hyperbole on my part. We are coming up on the 18th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And that fact is um, really particularly noteworthy. It dawned on me the other day when I was just sitting here thinking about how to prepare a couple of articles about this 18th anniversary of 9-11. Again, if you're familiar with me, you know that I provided testimony to the 9-11 Commission. They reached out to me. I provided them with a deposition and testimony. I've testified before numerous congressional hearings about national security and immigration. I've arrested terrorists in my career. My very first fraud investigation, which was supposed to be a nothing case, uh, caused me to trip over A terror plot in Israel we wound up preventing the bombing of an oil refinery. Saved a lot of lives. Saved a very important facility. So that's what we're really talking about. And um, I I have to tell you, um, the reason that 18 is so significant, if you ask most people that you know, where were you on 9-11, they will tell you exactly where they were, what they were doing. Those memories are burned in our brains. If you're old enough, and I am, and someone said, where were you when you heard that President Kennedy was assassinated? I could tell you I was sitting in English class in my high school. If you ask me where was I when I heard that Challenger blew up, I know exactly where I was. If you ask me where I was when I heard about Columbia disintegrating, the space shuttle as it was re-entering the Earth's atmosphere, I could tell you where I was on that terrible day. I can certainly tell you where I was on 9-11. 9-11 had a profound impact on those of us who lived through it. The fact that it happened almost 18 years ago means that we have citizens coming of age who will be eligible to vote in the next election who weren't born before 9-11. They have no knowledge of 9-11 except that which the media tells them and that which their schools teach them. And I can tell you that in my travels, I've met young people, people in their early 20s who know much, much, much more about December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor, than they do about 9-11. And the thing about 9-11 is that the Second World War has been over for many decades. The Second World War ended before I was born. The terror attacks of 9-11 And the attacks that follow have all made it clear that the all-clear has not sounded. We're still very much at risk. We're still sitting here under the sort of Damocles of terrorism. And we know from congressional hearings and all sorts of evidence and independent, reliable information that we still continue to face serious threats of terrorism. ISIS is on the resurgence in the Middle East. We know that Hezbollah, a client of Iran, is working day and night throughout Latin America to smuggle people and narcotics into the United States, including sleeper agents. The FBI has arrested sleeper agents in the United States, some of them planning and plotting to carry out attacks. In one case, the guy that was arrested actually received his degree in biomechanical engineering and was gathering up supplies to carry out a terror attack in the United States. Now, sometimes you read about these things and you say, oh, the guy – Had a high school education could he have really carried out the attack? When you're talking about an individual who graduated with a degree in biomechanical engineering, you're certainly talking about somebody who has the intellectual wherewithal to carry out attacks. So the threat is still very present. And if you read through the 9-11 Commission Report, I recommend you do. It's free. It's online. I include links to it in my articles. I also include links uh, to a companion report. 9-11 and terrorist travel, which was written by the staff assigned to the 9-11 Commission, federal agents and attorneys, they all made it clear, first and foremost, the terror attacks of 9-11 were made possible entirely because of failures of the immigration system. If the immigration system was effective and actually worked the way it was supposed to, there could have been no terrorist attacks. Um, Absolutely uh, mind-boggling we so We've got a very serious problem um and, and so um you have to ask yourself how in the world we could wind up in this situation. Just bear with me one fo- one second here folks so um so in any event with all that said. I would like for you very much to think back to the days after 9-11. And by the way, so I don't finish up, I don't discard this before I finish on this. Forgive me, I was just getting a text. Um, Please understand that we need to talk to the young people around us about what 9-11 really means and about how we need to protect ourselves and where the vulnerabilities were. And this isn't about bigotry and racism, folks. It's about common sense. We lock our doors at night when we go to sleep, especially when the police warn us that there are muggers and burglars and home invaders wandering in the neighborhood. The United States is in a dangerous neighborhood. And all that we need to do is make certain that we secure the borders against uninspected entry of aliens, and we create an immigration system that has integrity. And and, and so we need to get people to understand us, our neighbors, of course, but especially the young people who don't seem to get it. When you can equate immigration law enforcement with racism and a hatred of of a particular color of skin or whatever, uh, we've got a problem. Our immigration laws are completely, utterly, totally blind about race, religion, or ethnicity. There isn't a word in our laws about that. And what sometimes you will see the open borders crowd, the leftist lunatics will come out And say, well, we used to have Chinese exclusionary laws, and we used to have this, and we used to have that. Yes, and we used to have slavery, and they used to have uh, horses, uh, you know, pulling trams across bridges in the United States. We used to not have uh, airplanes. Uh, We used to. What happened then is irrelevant today. And it's so remarkable because when the president – I wrote about this in Front Page magazine – when the president said, you know – We have to go back to to the law, and if someone is a public charge on welfare, getting food stamps, public subsidies, we shouldn't be giving them green cards. There's legal backing. The media immediately said, oh, the president reached all the way back to 1882 when they first said we're going to stop people from coming in if they're going to become a public charge. Well, that's true. But he didn't have to reach back to 1882 1882 was the first time that our immigration laws were written to reflect the issue of public charge. Every rewrite of the immigration laws, including the current law, includes that very same provision. So think of the lie. Oh, the president went back in time to 1882, back to the future, and he dug up some law. Lo- no, no, no. Go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182. It's the current law. Grounds for exclusion. Aliens with dangerous communicable diseases. Aliens with mental illness. Aliens who are criminals. Spies. Terrorists. Human rights violators. Fugitives from justice. Aliens who have been previously deported. Aliens who are likely to become a public charge or who, if they worked, would be displacing Americans. Current law. Not 1882. Not 1882. But here, they play that game. Well traditionally the immigration laws were about race there was a time when race was an element and i'll tell you what i couldn't have enforced those laws they violate everything that i believe in but that is long gone in fact the current immigration and nationality act was enacted the the fundamental law in 1952 1952 almost 70 years ago Okay, so when we hear this nonsense, this is about race. And if you look at Latino voters and if you believe Latinos are different from all other Americans because of their race, by definition, folks, not only are you an income poop, idiots, but you're a racist. Americans are Americans are Americans are Americans. I don't care what your race, religion or ethnicity is. We want the government to keep our enemies as far from our shores as possible, the criminals off the streets. We want to know that our kids can get a good education, and anybody willing to study hard and work hard and maybe benefit from a little bit of good luck thrown in for measure, anybody can write the next great American success story, period. But the other side is playing this game of divide and conquer. And after 9-11, if you remember, if you were old enough, The politicians were fighting, clawing at each other with their sharp elbows. I want to get in front of that camera. I want my photo opportunity. Yes, not only Chuck Schumer did that, the others did it also. You know, they say in Washington the most dangerous place to be is between Chuck Schumer and a camera. So they were all standing there, and they're pounding the podium. Why didn't they connect the dots? If only we knew about the risks. Why the hell didn't they tell us what's wrong with our people? We should have known. On and on and on. The 9-11 Commission report, by the way, connected the dots. But something dawned on me as I was reviewing my my materials and contemplating how I want to write articles for both Front Page Mag and for Dennis Michael Lynch's website, DML News. In February of 1998, the Senate held a hearing, and that hearing was predicated on two terror attacks that were carried out in 1990. a a 1993 particularly the world trade center bombing but there was also an attack at the at the the cia by a Pakistani by the name of kansi who shot up the cia um, and left the country we brought him back here put him on trial he was found guilty and executed but it didn't bring back the two agents that he killed and didn't heal the wounds of those that he wounded and then in february february 26 1998 uh, 1993 forgive me a group of terrorists from the Middle East set off a bomb in the garage of the World Trade Center. That bomb killed six people, injured over 1,000 people, inflicted roughly a half billion in damages, almost brought the tower down sideways. Think about that. So the, um, the lesson should have been learned. The lesson should have been learned. And so, in fact, I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of DEA, and then I had just been promoted to senior special agent and assigned to the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force. And about a week or two after the bombing at the Trade Center and the World Trade Center, that iconic pair of towers was darkened. Soot, smoke covered the windows from the inside. It was unbelievable. The Vista Hotel, which was part of the complex, almost collapsed into its own foundation. One of the women I worked with, another agent, told me i spoke to her. i was home with a miserable cold on the day of that attack that she was walking by the garage when the bomb went off the garage door blew out and she got blown across the street like a leaf in a hurricane was i believe how she described it this was a major blast and if the tower had come down sideways as had been the plan if it had collided with the other tower casualty count would have been beyond anything you could comprehend it probably would have shattered the seawall that keeps out the hudson river lower manhattan would have been underwater the subways would have flooded and you probably would have had gas mains exploding and so in view of that five years almost to the day two days short of the fifth anniversary the senate did a hearing and let me pull this up. Bear with me just for one moment, forgive me. The Senate did a hearing on, and this was the um, Senate Judiciary Committee Subcommittee on Technology, Terrorism, and Government Information. And the topic was foreign terrorists in America five years after the World Trade Center. One of the witnesses was a gentleman by the name of Dale Watson, who at the time was chief of the international terrorism section of the FBI. One of the things that he discussed was that when they arrested the people who committed the attacks, um, Ramsey Yusuf, the ringleader, said that it was his goal to make the towers collide. And guess what the casualty count was that they were trying to achieve? 250 thousand dead yes they picked the number who knows but these people were serious and it was the estimation of the FBI that the reason that the bomb didn't succeed was they ran out of money the truck with the explosives was not filled to the top and I could tell you that I spoke to my friends back then and by the way they all sat down with me over lunch about two weeks after the bombing and everyone was of the belief. We, it was like a game of pickup basketball. This was pickup lunch. We were walking through Lower Manhattan. We recognized each other, and we all retired to this wonderful Irish pub, and there's so many great Irish pubs in Lower Manhattan. The uh, folks who ran the restaurant recognized us, put us in a back room, closed the doors, threw in a bunch of hamburgers and Coke, and said, let us know when you're done. We'll get you the check. And we sat there for a couple of hours, and, and we had hamburgers, french fries, and Coke. And... They all said the same thing. They said, Mike, immigration is now going to be a big player. There's no way that the Clinton administration could ignore the obvious. These attacks, first the bombing, uh, the bombing at the Trade Center and a month earlier, the shooting at the CIA, were carried out by individuals, aliens from the Middle East, who somehow, one way or the other, game the immigration system, claiming political asylum, getting visas by fraud, using folk, folks, uh, false identities. Uh, so everybody knew that they had gamed the immigration system, and consequently immigration was going to be the lead from this point forward, they believed. Now, who was there? Uh, people from the FBI, ATF, DEA, state police, city police, everyone said immigration. <clears throat> and I said to them, you know, if I had a magic wand and I could wave it over New York City and make all the criminal aliens disappear, what would you be involved in? What do you think you'd be pursuing? And the FBI did, said mike i'd be going after my golf game because it stinks and the atf agent said to me mike my back porch my deck is rotted i have time so that i wouldn't be putting in all these hellish hours all the overtime hours we were working almost around the clock chasing drug dealers and bad guys who shouldn't even be in the country in the first place so the consensus from everybody at that lunch was the biggest challenge we had to public safety were criminal aliens Well, now you can add to that terrorist aliens. So you would have thought in the wake of 9-11, I'm sorry, the wake of the 93 attacks, the Clinton administration comes up with Citizenship USA, where they ran 1.1 million aliens through the system for citizenship in such rapid fashion that there weren't even times to get the fingerprints back in many of the cases. They wound up naturalizing thousands of criminal aliens who should have been deported. And the people who worked for immigration in those days yowled and screamed and howled, and they went to the inspector general. They went to the General Accountability Office. They did an investigation, and they said, you know, these civil servants are right. The Clinton administration screwed up. But uh, they couldn't prove that there was political motivation, even though that was part of the allegations made by many of these government workers. You know, the, the government workers get a bum rap. When you work for an agency that's screwed up, you know. Let's go back to that expression: when the, you know, the when the fish goes bad, it smells from the head. The Clinton administration and the administrations that preceded it, including the Reagan administration, who gave us the first amnesty and a confidentiality provision so we couldn't share amnesty information with any other agency under any other circumstances without committing a five-year felony. Why? Because both parties are into globalism. They're meeting the demands of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce understand the problem but people say to me well why didn't they connect the dots so you have this hearing in 1998 three and a half years before 9-11 and Dale Watson makes it very clear that immigration uh, made made its share of mistakes but it gets better it really gets better because at that hearing there was actually another person who uh, testified, a senator provided prepared testimony at that hearing. Now, I'm not going to tell you the name of the senator. Now, when I start reading verbatim the remarks prepared by the senator for that hearing about the foreign terrorists operating in the United States, I want you to guess at which political party the senator was a part of, and then I want you to try to figure out if you can go to the next step and figure out who it was that said it. The only hint that I'm going to give you is this senator is still a senator, okay? So it narrows it down a little bit, but not by much. So let's start out. Um, There are also a number of – well, first of all, the senator talks about all kinds of problems and how we have to look for explosives and um, law enforcement needs better training in biological weaponry and so forth. And then the senator says this, there are also a number of glaring loopholes in our immigration laws. As I serve on the Immigration Subcommittee, I just want to spend my time touching on some of them, that is to say the loopholes in the immigration system. Think about that. And what you're going to hear is going to um, make it clear that um, that the, the, the whole problem that we now have is, is that this person makes statements, as you're going to hear, that sounds very much like what you've been hearing from President Trump. I want you to think about that. So let me continue on, but, but, but pay attention to the words. Please pay attention. So the senator then says, I, I have some reservation regarding the practice of issuing visas to terrorist-supporting countries and the INS's inability – that's the Immigration and Naturalization Service's inability – to track those who come into the country either using a student visa or using fraudulent documents. As you pointed out, through the Visa Waiver Pilot Program, back then it was a pilot program, and those of you familiar with my program and familiar with my writings know that I have made an issue out of this issue of the Visa Waiver Program even when I've testified before congressional hearings. This is a disaster. The senator then says, The Richmond Times recently reported that the mastermind of Saddam Hussein's germ warfare arsenal, Rehab Taha, studied in England on a student visa. And England is one of the participating countries in the visa waiver pilot program, which means if she could have gotten a fraudulent passport, she could have come and gone without a visa in the United States. The article also says that Rehab Taha, also known as Dr. Germ, that her professors at the University of East Anglia in Norwich, England, speculate that she may have been sent to the West specifically to gain knowledge on biological weaponry. What is even more disturbing is that this is happening in our own backyard. The Washington Post reported on October 31, 1991, that U.N. weapons inspectors in Iraq discovered documents detailing an Iraqi government strategy to send students to the united states and other countries to specifically study nuclear related subjects to develop their own program samir al araji was one of the students who received his doctorate in nuclear engineering guess where folks guess where from michigan state university and then returned to iraq to head its nuclear weapons program remember that was the reason i'm, I'm now these are my words not the senator's words remember the hunt for the nuclear weapons and biological weapons program in Iraq and everyone crazy and said, oh, my God, what are we talking about? We educated the people that are running those programs in these countries. This is madness. OK, forgive my rage, but listen to this. And this, again, was when they found out it was 1991. They discovered this before the 93 bombing of the Trade Center. They certainly discovered it before 9-11. But remember those idiots in front of the cameras thumping the podium after 9-11. Why didn't they connect the dots? What are they doing? Why didn't we know? What am I reading to you? This is part of testimony from a hearing that was held three and a half years before 9-11. The imbeciles that are elected to public office want us to connect the dots. Maybe they want us to bring them coloring books. Okay. So now it goes on, the testimony from the senator. The Washington Institute for Near Eastern Policy found in September 1997, that's what, four years before 9-11? Exactly, September 97, that many terrorist-supporting states are sending their students to the United States to get training in chemistry, physics, and engineering, which could potentially contribute to their home country's missile and nuclear, biological, and chemical weapons programs. That study was done in 1997, September 1997. I keep hammering this. Next, the testimony goes on and says this. Yet the State Department often does not do an in-depth background check on the students, and once they're in the United States, the INS has no ability to track the students to make certain that they actually study the subjects that they came to study and attend the schools they said they would attend. Going on with the testimony, between 1991 and 1996, the State Department has issued about 9,700 student visas to students from terrorist-supporting states such as Iran, Iraq, Libya, Sudan, and Syria to attend undergraduate and graduate studies in the United States. Additionally, a survey done by the Institute of International Education indicates that most students from terrorist-supporting countries major in the sciences, and the percentages are 71% from Iran, 65% from Iraq, 47% from Libya, 53% from Sudan, and 68% Syria. Think about that. Going on. The IEEE survey also estimates that 4.6% of students from Iran And 10.5% of the students from Iraq are funded by their governments to study in the United States. Currently, the State Department does not do any special background checks for students coming from Syria or the Sudan. An intermediate background check is required for Iranian students and a more extensive check for Iraqi students. And then the senator goes on and says the defendants of the World Trade Center bombing are also an example and I want you to listen very carefully to this paragraph. This is a jolter. Your eyes are going to pop open. I promise you. Grab onto those armrests of your chairs, folks. The defendants of the World Trade Center bombing, this is the 93 bombing now, okay, are also an example of those coming in through non immigrant or employment based visas or. Abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. Let me read that again. Or abusing our political asylum process and then committing crimes. Political asylum. How much are we hearing about that now? Asylum applicants. We can't hold on to them. Why are we holding on to them? They're asylum applicants. We have a senator here saying, that the terrorists from the Trade Center bombing were abusing our political asylum process and committing crimes. And didn't we see that, by the way, folks, with the bombing of the Boston Marathon on April 15, 2013, the Tsarnaev family claiming falsely political asylum? To complete this testimony from the senator back in 93. For instance, Nadal Nidal, Ayad, one of the defendants in this case, this case being the 93 bombing, used his position as a chemical engineer for Allied Signal to obtain the chemicals used in the World Trade Center bombing. And then the senator says there is Ghazi Abu Mazur, who was arrested in a suspected terrorist plot to detonate bombs in Brooklyn last year. He came in illegally across the Canadian border to Washington and attempted to seek asylum but withdrew his application and agreed to leave the country once he was released on voluntary departure he fled washington to brooklyn where he was arrested for plotting suicide bomb attacks in brooklyn and finally after the world trade center bombing louis free louis free at the time by the way was the director of the fbi louis free sent a memo to the deputy attorney general on september 26 1994 1994, and made the recommendation that the State Department need to establish a uniform system of communication on visa denials that the visa waiver pilot program could be used by terrorists using fraudulent documents and that asylum procedures and student visas can be abused by people trying to get into the country. Mr. Chairman, I would like to submit that memo into the record. And then they go on and talk about people who were involved with educational visas and committing crimes, and even an attempt to use airplanes, to blow up airplanes. Um, And and by the way, there was an interesting program on television about that. It was Operation Bojinka, where al-Qaeda was going to blow up airplanes. They were based out of the Philippines on, on that occasion. And in fact, one plane was bombed, and a poor passenger was sitting over the bomb. One passenger put the bomb under the seat, got off the plane when the plane landed, Other people got on the plane. When the plane was over the ocean, the bomb went off, and it cut one passenger in half. He died terribly on the airplane in flight. So we know that they were involved with airplanes. We know that they're claiming political asylum. We know all this. And what happened? What happened? We had the senators out there screaming, why did nobody connect the dots? Why did nobody connect the dots? How come the dots weren't connected? Why didn't they? If only we knew, if only we knew, we could have prevented this from happening. They knew. They knew. Hearing after hearing after hearing. I testified at a hearing in March of 2002, six months almost to the day after 9-11 when it was discovered that Mohammed Atta the ringleader of the bombing of the uh, of the 9/11 attacks and another one of his cohorts, Marwan al Shahi, had been granted permission to go to flight school six months after 9/11. Not one of the recommendations that were made were truly followed afterwards. Some a little bit, kind of, sort of. And what's interesting, and you probably missed it, but as an agent, my ear is attuned. What the senator kept talking about was we have to be able to track the students. Is that enough? tracking them so when someone goes off the reservation in, in uh, 2014 abc news reported that there was a report by the federal government that 6,000 foreign students from countries that sponsored terrorism had gone missing and we have no idea where they are so the tracking system said they went off the reservation so we tracked them and then we lost them and here's the problem we have no agents to look for them what in the world is the point to tracking if you have nobody that can respond? What's the point to having fire boxes on the street corner so if there's a fire, you yank the handle if there's no fire engines in the firehouse? This is failure by design. You have 6,000 immigration agents, and half of them aren't doing immigration work. They're doing everything but immigration work. You think it's an accident? By the way, before I move on, anybody out there? Think they know what senator made all those statements that sounds like something that could have been written by President Trump or one of his advisors today, for which he's being excoriated and attacked mercilessly? First of all, I wonder how many of you think that this was a Republican who said it. Well, here we go. The senator who made those very, very on-point remarks was Senator Dianne Feinstein. And you should know after 9-11, her counsel and I had routine phone conversations that sometimes lasted well over an hour. Feinstein was on board. Feinstein understood. Feinstein and other members of the Congress said, hey, we got to do something about this. This is dangerous. What happened? What the hell happened? Who got to them? Are they being threatened? Are they being bribed? Are they being blackmailed? Are they being coerced? I want to know how the Democrats and the Republicans can hold hearings in 1998 like that one and now stand there and say we need to do away with border security. We need to admit all these asylum applicants and don't hold on to them because you're being unfair and unreasonable. Unfair and unreasonable. And there was an article about how they're establishing a trial date for the terrorists that are being held in Cuba, um, and and, and they're saying – that they they killed 3,000 people. That's another lie. The terrorists didn't kill 3,000 people. 3,000 died the day of the goddamn attack, and how many more thousands have died since? But all we keep hearing is 3,000, 3,000, 3,000. Over 20,000 people right now are being treated for illness directly related attributable to the toxins they ingested when the damn towers came down. Thousands of them are dead. We're losing a first responder or other victim to 9-11 roughly every week or two right now, and it will continue and accelerate. The slogan for the 9-11 victims is never forget. I agree. But never forget what? Just the victims or the vulnerabilities that enabled 9-11 to take place? Forgive me, my motor's running. And I didn't get to talk about the other person who committed chutzpah. I I won't go into the name. I'll just tell this to you because it it bears mentioning quickly. You have a a woman um, who's going back and forth between Mexico. There was a a, uh, posting on the uh, ICE website, and she is found guilty. I believe she pleaded guilty to smuggling pounds of methamphetamine into the United States, doing multiple runs back across between the Mexican border, had a hidden compartment in her car, and she says, you've got to be compassionate. I have seven minor children. You can't separate me from my children. Well, we hear this all the time, don't we? By the way, she had two of her kids in the car when she was arrested with a load of meth. She was using her children when she crossed the border as a shield. And realize how dangerous this is. How many people are killed when the bad guys try to rip off the drug courier for the dope? She was getting somewhere between five or $6,000 a run and had two of her children underage children her youngest is four god knows which child was with her which children were with her so you have a woman who's using her kids as part of her drug smuggling operation and says oh my god i have to be with my children the best thing that the government could do is keep her away from her kids that's chutzpah folks i need to be with my children why she wanted run more drugs into the united states maybe next time she'll hide it in their underwear So I'm trying to figure out who's demonstrating more chutzpah, the drug-smuggling mother, so-called mother, at least biologically she's a mother. I don't think she deserves that title any other way. Or James Comey, who wouldn't know the truth if it jumped up and kicked him in the groin. What a collection. What flotsam and jetsam. But then we have to get to the story that I also want to get to, which is another hearing. On May 5, 2005, there was a hearing before the House Immigration Subcommittee, the Subcommittee on Border Security and Claims, and the topic was the dual missions of the immigration enforcement agencies. And John Hostetler, a Republican, was the chairman of the subcommittee, real good guy, and he talked about how the way the DHS was put together made it impossible to enforce the laws, even after we knew what was going on, that immigration failures were the reason that 9-11 happened. You know, if you read my articles, I provide the links to the Senate hearings, the House hearings, and so forth. Please check out my articles and forward them. Educate as many people as possible. Elections have consequences. Um, There's a lot about Donald Trump I have problems with. I'll be real honest with you. His mouth is his biggest adversary sometimes next to his Twitter account. But when you look at the alternatives, there is no alternative. There is no alternative loons on the left want to take this country down. They really do. There's no other conclusion that I can come to. How can you blatantly ignore the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission, especially when you know the all clear hasn't sounded? We know that the terrorists aren't using airplanes as much as motor vehicles these days, and New York State is giving driver's licenses to illegal aliens. So what? So they can rent trucks and go out and carry out more attacks? I mean, strategically, what are we doing? Why are we not looking to plug the holes that leave us vulnerable to terrorists, drug traffickers, and violent felons who shouldn't even be in the country in the first place? So John Hosteller said this. The Homeland Security Act enacted in in November 2002 split the former Immigration and Naturalization Service of the INS into separate Immigration Service and Enforcement Agencies, both within the Department of Homeland Security. This split had been pursued by Chairman Sensenbrenner based on testimony and evidence that the dual missions of the INS had resulted in poor performance. I had spoken to Sensenbrenner and his people. I was told afterwards that part of the reason they came to that conclusion was based on what I had given him, Lamar Smith, and other members of Congress. And they go on and say this, or or John Hostetler goes on and says this. There was a constant tug of war between providing good service to law-abiding aliens and enforcing the law against the lawbreakers. The plain language of the Homeland Security Act, Title D, creates a Bureau of Border Security and specifically transfers all immigration enforcement functions of the INS into it. Yet, when it came down to actually creating the two new agencies, the administration, that is the Bush administration, this is a Republican congressman. Think of the, the morality, the, the chutzpah here, but in a good way, that John Hostetler demonstrated in confronting the president from his own party and saying, what the hell are you doing? So he says this, the administration veered off course. Although the service functions of the INS were transferred to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, USCIS, the enforcement side of the INS was split in two. What is now Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, to handle interior enforcement and Customs and Border Protection to guard our borders. ICE was given all the customs agents, investigators, intelligence, and analysts from the Treasury Department, as well as the Federal Protective Service to guard federal buildings and the Federal Air Marshals to protect our airplanes, and finally, the INS investigators. CBP was given all the Treasury customs inspectors at the ports of entry, agriculture inspectors from the Department of Agriculture, and INS inspectors. At no time during the reorganization planning was it anticipated by the Congress that an immigration enforcement agency would share its role with other enforcement functions, such as the enforcement of our customs laws. This simply results in the creation of dual or multiple missions that the act sought to avoid in the first place. Failure to adhere to the statutory framework established by the Homeland Security Act has produced immigration enforcement incoherence that undermines the immigration enforcement mission central to the Department of Homeland Security and undermines the security of the nation's borders and its citizens. How crystal clear is that? And he goes on and says this. It is not certain on what basis it was determined that Customs and Agriculture Enforcement should become part of the Immigration Enforcement Agency, except to require federal agents at the border to have more expertise and more functions. It is also unknown on what basis the federal air marshals should become part of this agency, especially since it has been revealed that the policy is not to apprehend out-of-immigration status aliens when they're discovered on flights. If the mission of the Department of Homeland Security is to protect the homeland, it cannot affect its mission by compromising or neglecting immigration enforcement for customs enforcement. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this paragraph. This is central. Up until now, it's been the wind-up. This is now the pitch. The 9-11 terrorists all came to the United States without weapons or contraband added customs enforcement would not have stopped 9-11 from happening. What might have foiled al-Qaeda's plan was additional immigration focus, vetting and enforcement. And so what is needed is recognition that, one, immigration is a very important national security issue that cannot take a backseat to customs or agriculture. Two, Immigration is a very complex issue, and immigration enforcement agencies need experts in immigration enforcement. And three, the leadership of our immigration agencies should be shielded from political pressures to act in a way which could compromise the nation's security. And you have members of Congress calling for the end to border security and the end to immigration law enforcement, and we are rapidly approaching the 18th anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11. I wonder if any so-called journalist during the debates that are sure to happen will have the integrity, the decency, and the strong moral compass to ask those clowns who need rubber noses and big shoes how in the world they could be calling for dismantling immigration law enforcement when the all-clear has not sounded. And it was determined repeatedly by hearing after hearing, report after report, including the 9-11 Commission report, that first, foremost, and central to the attacks of 9-11 were multiple failures of the immigration system. It's astonishing beyond words. It's astonishing beyond words. This is a betrayal of America and Americans by people who profess to want to be the leader of America. My God, it takes my breath away. This isn't a right or wrong, left or right issue. It's a right or wrong issue. And where have the Republicans been? Why have the Republicans refused to provide the money for the border wall, which we need? Especially when you see hearing after hearing, and I've discussed it on this program. I've discussed it when I've been home with Dennis. I've discussed it when I was on Fox News just recently two weeks ago. You have an utter lack of interior enforcement. You have catch and release and no one to look for them if they don't show up for hearing, so why bother? You have people committing immigration fraud. And nobody is looking for them because we don't have the resources. And both sides say we need comprehensive immigration reform. We need to give millions of aliens who violated our borders and violated our laws. We somehow have to find a way to give them all green cards. And I could read to you sections from the 9-11 Commission report and the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, where they spoke specifically about how immigration fraud was the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. Ironically, that was a topic of my very first congressional hearing way back on May 20th, 1997, four years, four and a half years before 9-11. See, this nonsense, why didn't they connect the dots? Why didn't they connect? The dots have been connected, connected and reconnected and connected again. It's like a Lego set. They've taken it apart. They've put it together repeatedly, and they stand there with this blank look, and they say, oh, it's unfair to enforce the law. You bigot. You want to keep these poor immigrants out of America. The media calls them asylum seekers. Well, the goddamn terrorists were asylum seekers, weren't they? But so what's a couple of thousand dead Americans? Who cares? They're just speed bumps, aren't they? As long as... As the U.S. Chamber of Commerce is more fixated with headcounts on airplanes and headcounts in baseball stadiums and headcounts in theaters than they are with body counts in the morgue, nothing is going to change. And these politicians are bought and paid for, and their employer are the people who write those damn checks that they're happy to cash. As a federal agent, I couldn't take a cup of coffee. Think of how many appeals you're getting from the politicians from both sides of the aisle. And what are they saying? Oh, we need money. Please send us money. We need more money and more money and more money. Yes, we're getting the best government money can, uh, can buy, aren't we? So the real bottom line, folks, I'm going to be talking more about this next week as 9-11 anniversary approaches. The real bottom line is we, the people, absolutely must make the politicians accountable. We must attend the town hall meetings. We must ask the tough questions. Work as a team so that you can ask the good follow-up questions and have your friends with their phones videotape, record, make videos, and post the videos of the lies being told by politicians who could apparently care less about America's national security and the lives of Americans. Bernie Madoff took the money from some very wealthy people. These politicians apparently don't care if they take the lives of more Americans. Please get involved. I always like to make the point Uh, That democracy is not a spectator sport. We have a weekend coming up. It's Labor Day. When you sit down with your friends, neighbors, and family and have that barbecue, please have a peaceful, fact-based conversation. Go to my website, michaelcutler.net. Go to frontpagemag.com. Go to dmlnews.com. Arm yourself with the facts because knowledge is power. And I hope to empower you by providing you an insider's view on the immigration crisis. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. See you next week, folks. So long.